Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We podcast a Bible study for all of those who cannot be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ each Sunday morning at 9.30. And we know there are people even in the Omaha area who are not able to be with us at that time for one reason or another, physical handicaps, illness, uh, work schedules, whatever the case might be. And we know there are people around the world and across this country who want to be in Bible studies, but obviously they'd live in other areas, but they want to be in Bible studies. So we're thankful to have this opportunity and the ability and the means to teach God's Word through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts to anybody who wants to tune in all around the world. So we're thankful you're there. We're thankful we're here. Now, we encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. Also, tell them to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. And if you have not yet done this yourself, then you do that. And click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's always free. Again, always will be free. And when you do that, you'll automatically receive every day a number of different Bible study lessons that will come through the, through the internet, through our podcasting, and right to your smart device, whether that's your phone or computer or whatever one you choose. So take advantage of that. Again, churchofchrist.com. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, come and be with us in person. Check us out, worship God with us, grow spiritually with us, and get to know us and let us get to know you. Our, again, our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street right here in Omaha. Bible classes begin at 9.30 on Sunday mornings, followed by worship at 10.30. Sunday evenings, we come back together for another period of worship and Bible study at 6 o'clock. And then on Wednesday evenings, middle of the week, 6.30 each Wednesday evening, we have, we have midweek Bible classes. And you're welcome to any and all of these services. We hope to see you soon. Now, we're going to get back into our study from the book of Judges. Book of Judges. We've covered a great deal of material in the Old Testament already. We've looked at the beginning of mankind as God and of the universe and of this world as God went into the creating business back in Genesis chapter 1. And so we saw the progression of mankind. Hmm growing in number, but also growing in sinfulness. We saw the flood in Noah's day. We saw in Acts chapter, rather in Genesis chapter 12, where God then, after the flood, after mankind was replenishing the earth, God then chose a bloodline, and that would be of Abraham, through which he would raise up the people of Israel, and he would give them the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies of the coming Messiah. Then we saw that bloodline develop. Abraham had a son named Isaac, and God used and God chose Isaac to be the the bloodline to carry on his plan for uh, the the raising up of the people of Israel, and again through whom the Savior would come into the world, and the gospel message of forgiveness and salvation would be spread to all of humanity all over the world, not just to the Jews but to everybody. And so then Isaac had a son named Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons, and they became the forefathers of the 12 tribes of, Israel's, of Israel, and so it went. And then we saw where 
the Israelites were residing within the boundaries of Egypt, and during that was over a period of about 400 or so years. And during that time, they grew into a mighty population, so large that the Pharaoh that came into power way down the road, they and he he did not, you know, he was not alive when Jacob brought his family into Egypt when Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, was actually the second in command within the uh, nation of, of Egypt. And so here, hundreds and hundreds of years later, here comes another Pharaoh, and, and he looks at the population of the Israelites, and he says, this is a mighty people. If they start to rebel against us and form an alliance with one of our enemies, then we could be in big trouble. And so he actually basically made them slaves. And in that state of oppression at the hands of the Pharaoh of Egypt, they began to cry out to God for deliverance. And so God sent Moses. And so we saw Moses and Moses' brother Aaron. And Moses leads the people out of Egypt and ultimately to the promised land that God had promised to them through Abraham, going back hundreds and hundreds of years before. And so we're, we're there at this point and we're, when we're looking at Judges. We saw where God gave them victory after victory after victory over the peoples of that land that became the nation of Israel. And God had told them, going back to Deuteronomy, uh, as, as they were poised on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, ready to cross into the Promised Land and begin the conquest of the land, God gave them direct instructions through Moses you drive those people out or destroy them in battle because they are idol worshipers. They do not believe in me. They do not follow me. They do not worship me. They worship idols, and idols are nothing. And ultimately, someone might say, well, well, what was so bad about worshiping idols? Why would God want them destroyed? With idolatry went all kinds of it seems to have been a natural kind of state of being with idolatry with all kinds of immorality, all kinds of immorality. And it's basically we're talking about the opposite of godliness. When you were, and I've tried to teach this, you know, numerous times over the years that I've been preaching. When you take God out of the picture, the devil automatically walks in. And he said, well, but, but they're worshiping idols. Idols, again, are nothing. Idols are just statues, images, carvings, you know, however you want to describe them. They are not gods. They are not deity. They're just inanimate objects. But people look at them and they think, well, this is a representation of some deity. There is one God and only one God. And so when you remove him from the picture, you open the door to all kinds of evil, wickedness, sinfulness, because the devil automatically moves in. And so God said, those people do not have anything to do with them. You either defeat them in battle, and I will give you the victories, or else you drive them out of the land. And so when we were studying through the book of Joshua, we saw that God was giving them victory after victory after victory after victory. But then Joshua got old, and he stepped aside, and they stopped fighting the battles to a great extent. And they allowed different peoples to remain in the land. Now, 
at that particular time, the Israelites were powerful and they controlled the land and basically put the peoples that God had told them to drive out of the land, some of them they allowed to remain in, and they basically put them under subjection. But God had warned them, if you start developing relationships with these people, if you start letting them stay in the land, they're going to become a thorn in your side. They're, they're idol worshipers, and they're going to start leading your children and grandchildren into worshiping their idols. And then you and I are going to have a problem. Well, God knows a whole lot better than we do. And that's exactly what happened. When they started, when they stopped fighting the battles, when they stopped driving the people out, then, and they put them under subjection and they thought, well, okay, we're, we're in control now, you know, over years, I'm not talking about the next year. I'm not talking about two years after. I'm talking about, about after years, they gradually started being influenced by those peoples, and they became more and more idol worshipers themselves and more and more unfaithful to God as a result. So when we're looking at the book of Judges, we're seeing the ultimate results of that. At the end of Joshua, Joshua calls the people, make up your mind, make a commitment one way or the other, either follow the idols or follow God. They said, oh, we're going to follow God. And so they stayed faithful for that generation. And as long as Joshua was alive, they stayed faithful to God. And they stayed faithful as long as the elders who outlived Joshua were still alive. But then what happens? You have another generation come up. You have children being born and growing up who were not alive during the wilderness wanderings. They were not alive to see God split the Red Sea. And so they then become more and more, you know, interactive with these idol-worshiping people that their parents and grandparents allowed to stay in the land, and they become more and more influenced to start worshiping idols with them. And so you know, the, the really sad statement that we read in Judges chapter 2, and, and probably, you know, as I said, we probably conclude that the parents and grandparents did not follow through as aggressively as they should have in teaching their children and grandchildren about God. And so in verse 7 of Judges chapter, of Judges chapter 2, we read, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works the Lord, uh, of the Lord which he had done for Israel. So all of those folks who were alive during that time, being led out of Egypt, uh, receiving the law at Mount Sinai, going through the wilderness and seeing God miraculously feed them day in and day out. Their clothes didn't even wear out during those 40 years. And then seeing God give them the victory after victory after victory over the enemies within the promised land. But then see, verse 8 says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the borders of his inheritance in Timnatheres in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. Now, remember, the people 
They served the Lord. They stayed faithful as long as Joshua is alive and as long as the elders who outlived Joshua were alive. And then verse 10 says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. You have that, those new generations growing up now. And then verse 11 says that then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods, idols, from among the gods of the people who were all around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. So that's where we're at in the book of Judges. Now, what, is, what, what do we mean by the book of Judges? Why is it called that? <clears throat> Basically, for a period of about 400 years, there were no kings in Israel, and that was as God intended it to be. He wanted to be their king, and they wanted him to, he wanted them to to look upon him as their their sovereign, their king, their god. But in, they didn't need a, a physical king, an earthly king, because he would serve as their leader as long as they would follow him faithfully. He wanted them to be his special people from a spiritual perspective. He never wanted the nation of Israel to be primarily a physical geographical land of citizens within that land. He wanted them to think of themselves as a spiritual kingdom that would transition into the kingdom of God in the, in, in the identity of the church that Jesus would establish, Christianity. Okay, now, but they had problems. They, you know, they were going off in all kinds of different directions. And so God, when they became more and more taken in by idol worship and going farther and farther away from faithfulness to God, God began to use the idol worshiping people around them as instruments of judgment upon the Israelites. And so he allowed those foreigners to then conquer different tribes, different segments of, of, the, of Israel, and put them under subjection. You see, and this was exactly as Moses had warned as they were ready to cross into the Promised Land, recorded back in the book of Deuteronomy. You would think that we, we, we ought to learn lessons as we continue to study God's word, but we seem to have such a difficult time doing that. Now, somebody might say, well, I'm not sure I totally grasp this. They still believed in God. Yes, they still believed in God. Did they still worship God? Yes, they still worshiped God, but they mixed that worship with the worship of idols. And that is absolutely contrary to being dedicated and faithful to God. You're mixing worship with the, uh, of the one true God with worship of inanimate objects, carvings, statues, images. 
see, that's, that's not congruent. That does not go together. Not even practical. And that's an insult to the true God. So God brought judgment upon them. Well, <clears throat> you would go for a period of time where there would be at least segments of the, of, of, the, of, the peop, of, of the nation of Israel and the people of Israel under subjection of some foreign power. And then they would pray to God for deliverance. They would go through a period of at least apparent for, uh, your repentance, and God would raise up a leader that would be seen as a judge. And we just read about Deborah being one of those judges back in, in chapters four and five. And more judges would come onto the scene as a judge would lead them, lead the people into uh, reformation, I think we could say, to a great extent at least, a reform movement. They, and God would use those judges as leaders to raise up the people and then drive those enemies out again who had basically put them in subjection. But then when that judge would die, then the people would go back into the worship of idols. They wouldn't learn their lesson. And that was a repetitive kind of process over and over and over again for a period of about 400 years. And so many judges came onto the scene by God's raising them up to become leaders, to lead the people in repentance, to lead the people into reform movements, to drive those foreigners who had put them in subjection, conquered them, drive them out, defeat them, and restore independence and freedom to the people of Israel. But that was just a repetitive process over and over again. It was like a, well, as I call it, a seesaw, up and down and up and down, or you might say a merry-go-round going round and round and round, repeating the same kind of, of circuit over and over and over again. You'd think the people would have learned their lesson and put idols away from their conscience forever, but they did not. And they struggled with this particular sin for many hundreds of years. And not until finally God allowed Babylon and Assyria to conquer the land, the whole land of Israel, and not just defeat the people in battle, but to remove them from their land, depopulate the land of the Israelites, they finally learned their lesson and they put idolatry out of their conscience, out of their national conscience forever. They never again worshiped idols, physical idols, but that's hundreds and hundreds of years down the road. Well, we come to chapter six. We might compare the people who still believed in God, the Israelites, and still worshiped him to some degree but mixing their worship with belief in and worship of idols to a lot of people today saying, I believe in God, I love God, and they would at least now and then attend worship services. They'd have their name on some church roll, but at the same time, they would live in various kinds of ungodliness. They might live in sexual immorality on a regular basis. They might be, uh, they might be people who 
practice dishonesty on a regular basis, um, all kinds of sinful practices, but they say, oh, but I believe in God. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, you can't mix sinfulness with godliness. It does not work. I keep reminding people of what James wrote in James chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8, where he wrote, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, God drawing near to us is preconditioned upon us drawing near to God. And what does that, in, what does that in, in, entail, include? James goes on and says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We've got to put the devil out of our life in order to walk with God in faithfulness consistently. That was a lesson the Israelites had a very, very difficult time learning and actually applying to their lifestyle. Well, chapter seven, uh, chapter six, I'm sorry. We see again, Deborah, God has used Deborah to be a judge, to lead the people to, to victory over their oppressors, restore their independence and freedom, but then the cycle begins again. Verse 1 of Judges chapter 6, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. See, they went right back. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, now, now why did God allow the Midianites to conquer them? because they had gone back into evil. They'd gone back into the practice of worshiping idols. Verse 3, so it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. In other words, they would plunder their agriculture. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in, in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land and destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, well, of course, they did that over and over again when things got really bad. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods, the idols of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. You have not obeyed my voice. And the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the, the, the Abiazrite, who, I'm sorry, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, 
Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which you, uh, which, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Well, of course, because again, they had become unfaithful to God. And then the Lord turned to him, that is to Gideon, and said, Go in this might, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So God is, is choosing Gideon to be another deliverer of the people from their oppressors. So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Well, again, God sees the heart. He sees within us and not just the outward appearance. Verse 17, then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring you my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon is asking for a sign. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from, from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay, it, lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So Gideon brought an offering to God, a sacrifice. Now, in worship to God. Now, that angel was not God. That angel was representing God. And so the angel, he caused the fire and the worship was to God. The offering was to God. Now, Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the, then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abiazrites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, See, Gideon's father had become an idol worshiper and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So you cut down this idolatrous image and you use the wood that was used to build that image and you use it, you set it on fire and it'll serve as the fire that burns the offering that you're going to offer to the true God, the one God, the only God. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. 
but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Now you see the extent of the people who had turned to worshiping idols. There were so many. That was the general practice now. And Gideon did what the angel of God told him to do under the cover of darkness because he feared not only his father's household, but he also feared the people of the city around him. Verse 28, and when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the, alt- there was the altar of Baal torn down and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. Now, these were supposed to be the faithful followers of God and they were ready to kill Gideon because he had torn down their idols and burned the wood of the image of one of those idols as fire for a sacrifice unto God, the true God. Now, that's how far away from faithfulness and dedication to God they had come. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, lowercase g, an idol, if he is truly a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jeroboam, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn, because he has torn down his altar. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abiazrites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, other tribes of Judah, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as, I, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, in other words, all the ground around it, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so, when he arose early the next morning, and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Well, so God is visibly demonstrating to Gideon, I am behind you. I do choose you to lead the people in victory against these enemies.
follow my will. Now we'll pick up we'll pick up the battle uh, or at least preparatory to the battle next time in chapter 7. Let's pray. Father, you are the God, the only God. You are the Almighty. Nothing is impossible for you. But Father, there are no other gods. Help us to realize that and follow you only, but follow you not just in word, but in deed and worship and utter faithfulness. Please help us to learn the lessons of those who have failed you, written down in your word in Old Testament and New Testament scriptures. Guide us to be your people, Father, that you want us to be. Please forgive us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.